1: song that came out. It says, are we on the eve of destruction? I remember as a kid, we were building, I didn't do it, but we had friends build fallout shelters and all that stuff. And people were certain that the Russians were going to nuke us. But it seems like today the threats are even more ominous than Russia nuking us. Because today we have terrorism. We have, you know, Washington, D.C., now stands for District of Corruption. You know, we don't have an election. We have a Jerry Springer show. So anyway, it's quite a mess right now, and I guess I've been a prepper fully since about when I came back from Vietnam, and I realized that we were being lied to. So with that, the question is, are we on the eve of destruction, but more importantly, what you can do about it? So we have three great guests today. We're going to start with the first one. His name is Glenn Martin. He is famous. He's the owner of the Prepper Broadcasting Network. And he lives where everybody should live, on the border of Canada, so he can get across the border quickly. So welcome to the program, Glenn.
2: Well, thank you for having me, and that was quite an introduction. Uh, Boy, expert even. I like that.
1: Uh, Well, everybody's an expert when you get on the program. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, let me ask you this. You know, We were talking earlier before we got on the show is what is the bee on your bonnet? Like, you know, with me, I just don't trust my government. I I don't even listen to what they have to say anymore. Well, what drives you to where you move from to northern Idaho?
2: I like the mountains. Uh, I like a little bit more solitude, although, you know, we still got the big towns, the big city, Boise, Idaho. is just a skip away. Uh, But it's a little bit more comfortable uh, and and not as crowded. So that's what pleases me. As far as, uh, whoa, the bee in my bonnet. Uh, what's going on now of course uh, you know there's always something going on but uh, I guess you know the upcoming election the lack of choice we have in uh, the concern of where we're going where our country's going and uh, in the the shape that you know our economy's in.
1: But are you uh, forecasting or predicting or concerned about you know the apocalypse or something like that some event that just it you know, brings down the house of cards, or something like this.
2: Uh, well, you know, everybody, and especially in the prepper community, everybody has a, I guess, a, a short list of what they see as being, uh, you know, uh, the the priorities to prepare for. Uh, I think right at the top of those, most of those lists right now would be the economy, and uh, what's going to happen, and if there's a collapse, you know, how are you going to feed yourself? Uh, and that's certainly one of the things at the top of my list.
1: Well, what what would cause uh, the economy to collapse? I mean, we have great infrastructure, a great road system, so you know, great food distribution. Well, we've,
2: we've we've got a dollar that's not you know worth a dime. Uh, California. My my son is a long haul truck driver, and he he refers to California quite a lot in that. Uh, poorest road conditions of any state he travels in now because they don't have the tax money to keep their roads up so uh, let, me, let me ask you this let me ask you this
1: so what does what is in your definition a prepper
2: yeah and I, i've been really involved in this for the for the past five or six years using that term prepper but you know people have been around forever and, and prepper is nothing more really than what uh You know, our grandmothers and and grandfathers did. It's all about self-sufficiency and and self-reliance, being able to take yourself, take care of yourself without relying on government or any other entity to take care of you. When you look back at these catastrophes that we've had, Katrina and and what happened have you Uh, you know you see these people out on rooftops waiting for government help that you know haven't don't have any water or no food so you know what's you know it's just insurance and it's probably the smartest insurance a person could have is to have you know if not a month a week's worth of water or food set aside
1: so how are you prepped up in northern uh, idaho
2: I've got my critters, I like to call them that I take care of daily. That's the cows and the and the you know the horses, the pigs, and the chickens and what have you. And then of course, we we have uh, probably uh, oh, a good sixty days worth of food that we rotate uh, to you know to always have food on hand. I would love to be off grid. Just as a a new girlfriend, I just found she was unfamiliar with the term prepper. And uh, I run across her at a function and got to know her. And lo and behold, she lives totally off grid, other than her phone. Not a prepper, she just lives that lifestyle solar panels, everything. Uh, A uh,
1: soulmate, a soulmate. How lucky can you be?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, and uh, find some, you know, I, I, I haven't been interested, uh, you know, in several years. I, I wasn't on the look, but boy, when I run into her and find out she's living the lifestyle that that I live and trying to teach others about, uh, yeah, okay, it's so, so <laughs> a match made in heaven.
1: What would you say to somebody living in East LA or New York City or, you know, someplace that's urban where you got um, neighbors, should we say? What would you say to them?
2: If you're happy where you are and you're not concerned about things that could happen. Now, let's say you're. you're, uh, you're
1: let's say you're, you're, you're where you're at, and you are concerned. You live in this high rise. Uh, you commute to work. You don't have a car. Your supermarket is down the block. You know everything's pretty self-contained. Wouldn't the city? Mm-hmm. I'm, what am trying to get at? Isn't a city probably one of the most dangerous places to be?
2: Well, I would say in terms of a a collapse scenario, absolutely, it'd probably be the most dangerous place you could be. Uh, And I'm not talking, you know, people prep in the city, we have uh, shows about apartment preppers and what have you. So you can be prepared, but you're gonna, you know, if we have a major disaster in a city or, or a financial collapse, or what have you, there's going to be a lot of hungry people, and they're going to want to feed their families, and they're going to want to take what you have in order to feed their family. And if you don't think so, you need to find somebody or wait until you run across somebody that is that hungry so, or their family and children are that hungry.
1: So so what is a prepper doing, let's say, in Manhattan, New York City? They're concerned, of course,
2: about having some kind of a stockpile of food or water that will last them through whatever scenario may occur but i think also a bigger concern for that type of a prepper would also be self defense the ability to hang on to what they have to keep others from looting and getting or taking what they have
1: how, how about how about if i live in suburbia you know i got neighbors all around me and i'm you know 25 miles out of the metropolitan area but i'm still 100 miles from where you live what would you say to a suburban person with a three bedroom two bath house?
2: Well I, I think still probably a good idea would have would be to have another location. I mean I, I think as you mentioned at the beginning of the show you have a couple of places that that you can visit or stay at should you want but to have that uh, go-to place that what uh, preppers refer to as a bug out location if things get tough where you're at, to have that backup uh, that second home that you could go to that maybe is a little further into the country or away from where So what so uh, what would
1: a what would a bug out place be live, you know be for the Mr. Mom who lives downtown suburbia was, is it a, a, a campsite or is it another house or what?
2: Well, it could be a, a campsite that is not so well known to the to the majority of the populace. It could be that uh, acre or two that they own out in the country. That's uh, you know a little a little more off grid or further away from uh, from the general populace.
1: And then you prep uh, out there. You, you have food and water out there and shelter and power.
2: Yeah, keep it stocked, keep it ready, and if you need a place to go. When yours becomes unsafe, if it does, then you've got that place. You've got that backup plan.
1: Well, Glenn, thank you very much. I wish I had more time, but uh, you're fantastic. Uh, Keep up the good work. It's Glenn Martin, owner of the Prepper Broadcasting Network. His website is PrepperBroadcasting.com. This is a very important show because we're talking about the eve of destruction and how you can prepare for it both physically and financially. So I would suggest you know going to richdadradio. dot com, listen to this program again. But especially if you have loved ones, or family, and friends, and business people who need to think about the eve of this destruction, even if it doesn't come, are you prepared for it in case it does come? So that's all our programs are archived at richdadradio. com. I want to thank our special guest. His name was Glenn Martin. He is the the guru on the American Prepper Movement, and uh, he was fantastic. The second part of this program, we're going to what you can do financially. And these are dear friends of ours, Dr. Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart. Chris lives in Massachusetts, and Adam lives in the Communist Republic of California. And they're the founders of PeakProsperity.com. Chris is an economic researcher and futurist specializing in energy and resource depletion. And Chris and Adam are the authors of the latest book, Prosper, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. And Chris is the author of The Crash Course, The Unsustainable Future of Economy, Energy, and Environment. I mean, Chris, that book, The Crash Course, really, really put perspective on how fast and how quick we are on the eve of destruction. Welcome to the program, you guys.
3: Thanks, Robert. Great to be back with you. Welcome, comrade. I should say, I guess. Comrade,
1: comrade. Hey, uh, Adam. Uh, Adam just sent me some beef from his sustainable beef farm in California. Is that is that your prepper thing? You're selling beef now.
0: It, it is. I mean, it's uh, it's part of a, a, an entrepreneurial venture, uh, following a lot of what you write about and uh, advocate, Robert. But a big part of it, yeah, is when the Eva destruction arrives. If if you're the guy who's providing the protein to your community, it's a it's a pretty good place to be.
1: And, Chris, what's happening with you in the Communist Republic of Massachusetts? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we're looking forward to a, a brisk season of tax hikes and uh, <laughs> regulatory encroachment. Uh, I don't know. It's the usual.
1: It's always the same. I don't know why you guys live in those two states, man. You know, like, I like to keep my money. I don't want to just pay for it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Chris, would you mind a really quick brief synopsis? What was your wake-up call? When did you realize— that uh, Greenspan was not taking care of the economy?
3: Oh, 2001 was where I first started to get really interested in this thing called the economy. You know, my portfolio got shredded like everybody's. I was just a, a dyed-in-the-wool paycheck-earning saver. I had my head in the sand. I thought I was, that's how you did life. And so once I really started to investigate, Robert, started to really look into how the economy worked, most importantly, how money printing works. I got a little concerned. It was clear that our economy was unsustainable in a lot of dimensions. And once I really peeled back the covers and connected a few other dots, particularly around energy, also the environment, put it all in one spot, uh, that's when I got really concerned and and needed to change a lot of things in my life, and my family's life, and and really uh, begin to become serious about the challenges we're facing in this world.
1: Right, and I, I want to tell you again, Chris Martinson's book is The Crash Course, please read it. It is so I mean Chris is a you know, a doctorate, not, not a medical doctor, but he writes like a researcher, yet he keeps it simple and he uses very, very clear, should I say, mental illustrations of how how dire a position the world is in right now. So please get his book, The Crash Course. And you know, Chris, I have a new I have a new I have a new title for people like you. I'm writing my, my, my next book, Why the Rich are Getting Richer, and I call your category the millionaire next door. You know, <laughs> all the guys that had a job. They're, you know, they had their portfolios. The house has gone up in value, and you all drove Toyotas and Volvos. You know, that guy Stanley said this was the millionaire next door. Well, the millionaire next door, after 2000, became the foreclosure next door. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, your partner <laughs> is – Adam Taggart, who lives in California, Adam's a great guy. And uh, Adam, tell, me, tell us how you got to this point of view, because both of you guys are the academics, man. You are the A students, you know. Adam, you went to Stanford and all that.
0: I did. So uh, I sort of fell down this hole soon after I graduated from business school at Stanford, um, where I was living in Silicon Valley, and my wife and I went to uh, to buy a house, and this was a house. Built in the 70s, uh, plain vanilla starter home, nothing had been done to it, and the, uh, ticker, the sticker was uh, about 850000 and I was told if I really wanted the house, I should bid 100000 over asking, uh, which I did, and uh, ended up getting so far outbid, they didn't even invite me to counter. And that happened uh, once or twice more to me, and I, I just figured, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively smart guy, but I'm, I'm just not seeing why housing is so damn expensive out here and um, went online and started reading up on on the housing market and uh, began learning that there was a bad policy that was creating a housing bubble, a housing asset bubble. And the only voices that made sense to me in this were the guys who were warning about that bubble and and they were the only ones that actually had real data and Chris was amongst that uh, that group of writers that I was following and then a few years later, 2007 happened and uh, 2008 quickly followed and a lot of what these guys who were really resonating with me were warning about, you know, was now getting validated in the market, and and that's when I really realized, you know, the people with the models like Chris who are warning about the unsustainability of the macro system are really onto something. And uh, and once sort of you know that was all made clear to me, uh, I've never seen the world the same since.
1: Right. So uh, Chris, what is your uh, what is your doctorate in?
3: It's in uh, neurotoxicology. So uh, basically, just studying how how nerves die mostly. <laughs>
1: That, that make a good economist,
3: because we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. You know, the, the department that comes out of uh, is pathology. And so, yes, I, I'm able to conduct post-mortems on, on the economy, all that. But really, you know, my training is about how nothing is black and white. Everything's a risk. You have to understand what the risks really are. And once I understood and looked at the world that way... You know, that's what's in the crash course. It's just connecting dots in a way that once people see it that way, they tend to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense with what I'm reading. It makes sense with what I feel in my gut. It actually has some predictive power because what they say is going to happen seems to happen. So I think it's a better explanation than what you get if you're reading the media.
1: So how do you guys, you know, uh, what would you recommend to the millionaire next door? You know, the guy who has a high-paying job. He's got a portfolio of probably $3 million. He's got savings in the bank, which is being depleted like a wild man with interest rates going down. What would you say is the millionaire next door right now from what you've researched since your wake-up calls?
3: Well, I'll take that first, and then Adam can chime in. Look, it's really important to understand where we are in this story. We're in about a 40-year-old super bubble of credit. It started in the early 1980s been going on ever since. It almost flew apart spectacularly in 2008. The central banks did everything they could to keep the credit bubble going a little further. It's global in nature, but when it falls apart, it's going to destroy a lot of wealth. That's how the millionaire next door is going to experience it. They're going to say, what happened to my $3 million? It either got stuck in a bank and stolen through a bail-in or my portfolio got shredded, but it'll be gone or half gone or mostly gone, and they won't know what happened. But what's going to happen is what's happened many times in history when the government, the Federal Reserve, your central bank, they start printing money to get out of a little problem, but they create a bigger one. And when they do that and it blows up, and they always do, what happens is not people will talk about it as if their wealth got destroyed. But if you watch carefully, what's really going to happen is wealth is going to be transferred. It's going to be taken from one person and given to somebody else. That's happening right now that will accelerate. And a lot of people are going to wake up, Robert, who don't have the context. They're going to wake up one day and say, wow, I feel a lot poor." They will be a lot poor, And if they don't have the education that you provide and that I provide and Adam provides, if they don't have that, they'll be confused, disappointed, and in some cases ruined.
1: Right. And then so let's hear from Adam because, again, what would you say to the millionaire next door? I have a lot of friends who are millionaires next door. They have jobs or doctors, lawyers, you know, they're executives and they have this multi-million dollar portfolio and two million in the bank account and they have a house that's, you know, a million dollar house, what would you say to them?
0: Right. Um, Well, I would say, you know, we are definitely entering a very treacherous time for capital preservation. And I think you got to start with that, uh, that clear understanding. Um, As Chris said, I, I think we know the wide arc here of how things are going to progress, which largely is going to be money printing and the destruction or extreme devaluation of the currency. The problem is, is we don't know exactly the path it's going to take to get from A to Z. Our general advice to people is to get out of paper assets on paper claims on things and to actually have ownership of the real things themselves. So these might be tangible assets like commodities, um, you know, obviously precious metals we're a fan of, uh, it's real estate, um, but productive assets. And if you can you know, own productive real estate or productive enterprises, uh, those are all things that are not going to go to zero and are gonna have uh, intrinsic value going forward. Uh, And and on a relative basis, probably a higher relative value as uh, paper claims begin to get uh, printed away.
1: Once again, our guests are Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, co-founders of peakprosperity.com. Our earlier guest was Glenn Martin. He was talking about how to cover your asset. I mean, you know what I mean? How to protect yourself, your body. Now we're talking about how to protect your fiscal, your financial assets. So let me quick ask this question. What do you suspect's coming down the road? Anything, got any crystal ball stuff on that?
3: Well, I'll, I'll start again there. Uh, listen, it's pretty clear that the bubbles have been created everywhere. And this is across the globe right now. So there's stock bubbles, are bond bubbles, they're in financial assets. And the central banks did this on purpose because they thought, hey, we pump up financial assets and somehow we'll get this great recovery. So they've done that, but it's it bubbles are always dangerous, bubbles always burst, and Uh, When these bubbles burst, Robert, I'm really looking for financial market turbulence, dislocations, capital controls, everything you can think of in 2008 but worse this time because we haven't learned the lessons and the numbers are bigger this time. Too big to fail is bigger. Derivatives, larger, uh, sovereign debt, higher. So all of the things that were stresses last time are stresses this time, only bigger. Uh, And so really I think people need to be prepared for uh, very disruptive market conditions and market crashes are a distinct possibility not a guarantee but a very high possibility now
1: so adam what do you say what 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 does crystal ball say
0: yeah well, well i completely agree and chris and i uh, more or less as- ascribed to this theory uh, initially developed by a fellow named eric jansen called the kapoom theory kapoom basically being the way a, a depth charge uh, explodes where you initially have a contraction before you have a massive explosion. And as Chris saying, you're going to, this is saying, this will manifest first in market instability. And so we do think there will be a period of deflation where the natural market forces that want uh, the, the bubbles to, to uh, uh, correct are, are going to win out. And you're going to see you know, some pretty big market dislocations. And then you're going to see the massive policy response from the central banks and central planners of the world, where the money printing just, you know, goes on steroids, and the, the purchasing power of the, the currencies just get completely depleted. So, the, the the point here, and this is why I said it, it's a treacherous environment for investors, is you have to plan for both deflation and inflation. Um, and so, you know, we're not huge fans of owning large piles of cash for the long haul, for the bail-in risk reasons and the, and the the currency devaluation reasons. But in the short term. Having some dry powder may come in very handy during that initial deflationary wave. You just have to be positioned to deploy it very quickly before the the hyperinflationary wave comes.
1: So what's the bad news? (laughs) 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 We're going to want to talk about you guys wrote this book called Prosper, how to prepare for the future and create a world of a world worth inheriting. Chris, what is Prosper about?
3: Well, we've been talking about one of, of the important chapters in Prosper, which is how to preserve and maybe even build your financial capital, and in that chapter we continued uh, down a path you really uh, started us down, which is thinking more carefully about how to become an entrepreneur and how important that framework is. But there are seven other chapters like that, and, and it prospers about the idea that there are multiple forms of capital, that if you are rich across all of these forms of capital, you will be more resilient, more prepared for whatever future comes, and you'll be happier, healthier, wealthier today. So an example of one of those other chapters would be um, emotional capital. Like, how do you? What is that? How do you build that? But it turns out that the next uh, economic crisis isn't going to hurt a lot of people nearly as badly as their reaction to it. Uh, and, and we've seen this time and time again. When an insult comes along or sometimes gets yeah, disruptive, some people shut down, numb themselves, drink too much, uh, can't respond, don't know how to – Sell their stocks, which are you know bleeding like crazy. Don't know when to jump back in um, when there's blood in the streets. So having emotional intelligence and working on your emotional resilience is actually really important. It's one of the most important things you can do. And so that's an example of another chapter that's in there. Prosper's about how we actually diversify ourselves, control what we can, so we're ready for whatever happens to come.
1: And our first guest today was Glenn Martin. He's the owner of Prepper Broadcasting. And our current guests are Chris Martinson, Adam Taggart, dear friends of ours, co-founders of Peak Prosperity, website peakprosperity.com. Chris is an economic researcher and futurist, specializing in energy and resource depletion. And Adam is, Chris and Adam, the authors of Prosper, the latest book, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. And Chris is author of that fabulous book, The Crash Course. Please get it. Get it. Because Chris writes in words that paint pictures, makes it very clear what he sees coming. We're talking about what you can do to prepare for financial survival. But let's go into, we talk about the importance of being an entrepreneur and actually preparing for a brighter future. You see, I'm already into the future. I've been been preparing for the future for a long time. So let's go you know like this radio program is one thing I do to prepare for the program you know I want to be able to keep communicating no matter what happens if there's power and I have and I have my investments like I have gold and silver just in case things go bad I don't consider gold and silver an investment and I have the other precious metals you know guns and bullets so I'm prepared. And the Rich Dad Company is preparing to go into the future as more people realize there's a need for financial education. So I'm preparing for a brighter future. What do you recommend to the millionaire next door right now with their million-dollar house, the $2 million portfolio, and $2 in cash? What would you say to them? Uh,
3: Listen, if I'm in that situation where I have all of my wealth, uh, and I'll put air quotes up, wealth is tied up in the stock market, maybe a little cash in the bank in my home, uh, I'm going to want to diversify Right away, and so one of the things we talk about in Prosper is uh, absolutely, you know, manage the money you've got as well as you can. Uh, you know, have a financial advisor do that. You know, standard stuff. But you're going to want to take a portion of that, and you're going to want to dedicate a portion of your net wealth into building out your other resiliency that exists uh, out there. And, and so you know, take care of all that. So let's say you've done that. Your house is in pretty good shape. You've got some gold and silver. Um, your your funds are being taken care of well this is where I really am in line with you Robert people have to have multiple lines of income you've got to have that entrepreneurial spirit if you have a single paycheck I don't care how big it is you are at risk and uh, obviously what you'd like to do is have uh, lots of different cash flowing opportunities residual income uh, lots of different ways that you can tap into a flow of money because in the future when this crash comes a lot of things are going to go away now, that sounds doom and gloom, but for me, Robert, Adam and I are facing insurmountable opportunity right now. There will always be opportunities. But you have to – this is one of those times you've got to be Wayne Gretzky. You've got to skate to where the puck is. Those new opportunities are going to be very different from the ones we had in the past.
1: So Very good. Let's just tell you what. We have my friend, Philip Haslin. He and I were down in South Africa talking. Philip is an expert on the monetary collapse of Zimbabwe. And I asked him, what what became money after the Zimbabwe dollar collapse? He says, tampons and toilet paper. So that's Mm -hmm. about preparing for the future. They could be used as money. So anyway, that's an idea. Adam, what do you say?
0: What he said was social capital was a a really critical success factor for the folks who actually did well um, post the currency collapse there. In Zimbabwe. These were the people that had the relationships to draw on to be able to get the – the goods or support that they needed in the community. And, uh, and that's something that we definitely find that most of the millionaires next door feel that they are most poor in. Um, you know, they, are, they go to work, they get up, they commute, they, they you know, work hard during the day. But in terms of actually knowing the people in their community, having people who they can count on in a crisis, uh, somebody who can support them financially if they get a pig, pig slip uh, at work the next day, uh, or if they have a health crisis, um, or obviously, you know, something more dire, where the community itself is under threat. They, they don't know their neighbors. They don't have a plan for actually banding together uh, and, and supporting one another through times of crisis. And the the challenge about community is it's not something that you can just instantly build overnight. It's something that takes a long time, oftentimes years, in developing relationships and that sense of trust amongst everybody. Get out there. Get involved. Um, find ways to, to be in service to those in your community um, so that, you know, quite Machiavellian-like, in times of crisis, they're going to want you around as opposed to seeing you as a potential threat.
1: Because if you have resources, let's say in the worst case scenario, I have a house and food and goats and chickens and pigs, but your neighbors don't, big problem, right?
0: Oh, very big problem, (laughs) Um, especially if you don't have a a relationship with them where they know that you're going to use those resources, you know, and, and help them with it. If they don't trust you, they're just going to come take it from you if they can.
1: So, Adam, you have a ranch with producing cattle. That's your preparation for the future.
0: That is definitely a component of my preparation for the future, for <laughs> sure. And, and, and that business is actually that investment is a great example of why we wrote Prosper, where we think we have a pretty good beat on where the future's headed. But we, you know, we don't know for certain. Um, and the nice part about all the investments that we encourage people to make uh, through the book Prosper are investments that even if we happen to be totally wrong, where the future ends up looking exactly like the same for the rest of our lives, these are all great investments that are life enhancing for you. You know, getting That's- fitter, becoming more respected in your community, being a better steward of your money, uh, reducing your dependence on fossil fuels, etc. cetera. Um, these are all things that are gonna benefit you no matter what happens. But if a crisis does come around, the relative value of those investments is gonna be so much higher. So in my case, you know, I make nice, uh, a nice income stream off of this, this uh, grass-fed cattle ranch, but again, uh, you know, my, my long-term plan is, hey, if we're ever at a time of real crisis, uh, all of a sudden it's a food source for myself and my family, but we raise enough cattle that it should be a food source for the community, and the community is really going to want to keep me around because I'm providing them with a, a dependable source of local protein.
1: Once again, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. We're talking to Chris Martinson, Adam Taggart, co-founders of Peak Prosperity. And we're talking about how you prepare the collapse ahead if it comes. Hopefully it doesn't come, but are you prepared? And I agree with what Adam just said is that by preparing, you can actually do very well. For example, I saw this crash coming back in the 80s, this change because I don't trust the Fed. But anyway, so I just started investing in what I call low-income real estate, near high industrial areas, because even if the stock market crashes, you know, people will still need housing. So I invest in what I call basic essentials. Adam is investing in food, a basic essential. Toilet paper and tampons, basic essential. So that's kind of the way I I started thinking a long, long time ago. I don't chase the stock market. I don't like it, I don't care if it goes up and down. I would rather have what's real. In the future, I want what's real. So it's going to be food, shelter, toilet paper, tampons, fuel, that kind of stuff. Chris, any other comments?
3: We're seeing this play out as well right now, Robert, in uh, Venezuela, um, where, again, I think tampons and toilet paper, very appreciated down there right now. And, and I know most people listening are thinking, well, we're in the United States. We're immune from all this, um, but we're not. Uh, you know, the United States has has got a uh, just a huge amount of debt that's overhanging right now, and most people think that because it hasn't mattered for 30 or 40 years, it'll never matter. It will. Uh, these things always always come around, and uh, this is going this is going to happen sometime in our lifetimes. Will it start tonight? Will it be 10 years? We don't know, but we do know that we're on an unsustainable course. That means it will change. It doesn't mean the end of the world except for people who don't have a clue and don't have a plan, right? Right. So that's one of the things we really advise people is, you know, set aside some money now, you know, but start developing your plan. What do you want to own and why? We think there's better prices coming, but you're going, you know, you need to have a view of that. And uh, I'm reminded of the story about when you were taught real estate investing, you know, how many deals did you look at before you really understood what a good bargain was? Well, we think people need to, uh, start that same process for themselves, really think this through. What do I want to own and why? Because that will be the time, there will be a time to make a move for those assets.
1: Yeah, Thank you. There's a couple of things I don't think people noticed was that the biggest, one of the biggest shipping companies in the world, Hanjin, I believe, just declared bankruptcy. Right. The, the reason they declared bankruptcy is because trade between nations is drying up. They can't make enough money to pay for the ships. The second thing that I don't think people realize is that, especially the millionaire next door with their pension, their government pension or their whatever pension they have, is this lower interest rates are going to destroy those pensions because there's so many pension funds that are required by law to buy U.S. Treasury bonds. And at all times low, they can't perform. You know, they're— most of these pension plans are built on an economic model of 7 to 8% return. Well, bonds are trading at negative return. How are they going to pay for your pension? So that's kind of what we're trying to say. Any comments? You guys have any idea on this idea of lower interest rates and how it affects pensions, especially the bonds? Oh, sure.
3: It, it's killing them. It's killing them. So. Let's look at one of them, Um, CalPERS, which is one of the largest ones out there in in, uh, communist California. uh, They're still assuming a 7% rate of return. They actually turned in 0.9% for last year. And every year that continues with those dismal returns is another year that they are compounding the disaster. And you know who's going to be on the hook for that. The taxpayers of of the states involved are going to have to pay up for that. But also those pension promises are going to get whittled down. It's just—it's a whole world of pain. It's coming, and whether it hits the taxpayers now or the pensioners later it doesn't matter. So those what? promises won't be kept. People who are relying on those, counting on them, uh, have to make other plans. They just have to. Just, it would be foolish not to understand that you're not going to get paid, uh, and so you know what are you going to do instead? That's the kind of thinking a lot of people haven't engaged in, and I understand why. It's not pleasant, but. It's the reality right
1: now. So if you have a government pension, think again. That's what Philip Haslan said in his book, um, When Money Destroys Nations. He talked about an attorney who was an attorney for 50 years. He contributed to his, was called, old mutual pension plan for 50 years. And due to hyperinflation and mismanagement by the government, when he retired, he was paid a one-time payout. That bought could afford a can of gas. Jeez. After fifty years, mm. his pension bought a plan, a can of gas. I want you guys to think about that. Any comments on that, Mister Taggart, in the Communist Republic of California, with Calpers?
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm afraid we may see that movie play out someday in my home state here. Um, I, I mean, that, that's an extreme example, but that is the risk that we run here. I mean, the the, the, the pension fund crisis and it is a crisis is, is a massive ticking time bomb and sadly human nature being what it is and government officials being what they are everybody is desperately trying to kick the can down the road as far as possible on this but if you look at any you know municipality here uh, in in most cases the, the largest budget item by far is paying pensions to people who are not working that's um, that's
1: that's what happened to Zimbabwe they went down because they couldn't pay for the pensions right you see, it's it's déjà vu all over again.
0: It is déjà vu all over again, and unfortunately, human nature, being what it is, is it it's, it is a tough problem to fix. And nobody oh, I don't think nobody has the political it. will to, to say no to pensioners, hey. and so they wait for the crisis to force the decision.
1: Hey, who was that wise man who says you can't fix stupid? <laughs> <laughs> Must been <an> Einstein. <laughs> yeah. So before we close, let's have, let's have uh, uh, Chris. What's that one tip for li- listeners? What they can do to prepare? I mean, for real, money-wise, financially, what can they do?
3: You got to get educated. Uh, so read up and uh, take advantage of the crash course, other materials like that. Uh, all of your books, obviously, you know that's step one. And uh, yeah, that would be my first in- first tip for anybody who hasn't self-educated. That's the most important thing today is the information. Make sure you got good information.
1: Right. So, Adam. One tip for our listener: the millionaire next door with their pension and their million-dollar house and all that stuff.
3: Yeah, most
0: of their wealth and most of their their investing that they're familiar with is in you know paper stocks and bonds that they buy off of E Trade. Um, the one thing I would encourage people to really look into is local investing, is to actually start deploying your capital locally into real things. One, because I think it's it's those are things that will retain value, and two. Those are things that you know your community is going to value you for. The challenge with local investing is it is very, very different than simply buying a stock off of E-Trade.
1: Thanks. A special first guest was Glenn Martin. He's the owner of the Prepper Broadcasting Network. And our second guest were dear friends, Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, co-founders of PeakProsperity.com. Once again, this program is archived. If you have friends who are million millionaire next door or they don't have any money, sit down listen to this program again, and start discussing, because that's the purpose of it. Don't just take, keep it for yourself. And we're going to our most favorite part of our program, which is Ask Robert, and you can submit your questions to Ask Robert at richdadradio.com. Once again, Robert at richdadradio.com. So Melissa, what's the first question today?
4: Our first question today comes from Ian in Eugene, Oregon, favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He says, Robert, I've heard you talk about the five G's, Financially, I can't buy all these items at once. In your opinion, what is the first G I should focus on acquiring? The
1: five Gs I got a long time ago. Um, one, the first G is gold. You should have some gold or silver, precious metals. Second, you should have gra- ground, safe ground. I mean, is, you know, like Oregon's a great place because there's a lot of safe ground up there. In fact, Glenn Martin of the Prepper Broadcasting, they recommend uh, Eastern Oregon. And stuff like that is a great place. Next is grub, you gotta have food. And then third, fourth is gasoline. And fifth is my favorite one, guns. You better you gotta protect yourself. You if you have something and the worst does happen, hopefully it doesn't, then you but you gotta have a weapon. Okay. So for me the five precious metals are gold, silver, guns and bullets. But if you have no money, that's a very, very, very good question. I would start with food. You know, like when Kim and I had no money, you know, we had a closet full of just canned goods. And they last forever. You know, just store them in there, you know, have about a month worth of food. Second is water. Just have some bottled water in there in case things go bad and you have to hold up for a well. while. So it starts with the basics. So that's, that's how I would start. You know, you've got to cover the basics. The other thing I have is I have a gas can. So in case I need to get out of town, I can run out with, I don't have to go stand in line at the gas station. And every so often I just pour the gas back into the tank and refill the gas tank, so I'm ready to go with that. So you gotta be ready to run if you run. So if you have no money, that's the way you start. If you're not the millionaire next door, just start with the basics. Next question, Melissa.
4: Our next question comes from Amone in Mexico, favorite book, Cashflow Quadrant. He says, what is the best and first step in learning to invest in gold?
1: Well, I would get a book on it or something and just read it, you know, because there's so many opinions on gold is why it's good and why it's bad. But you know that we had Harry Dent on this program, very smart guy, and he's calling for gold to go to two hundred fifty dollars. And then we have this guy James Rickards, author of Currency Wars, another smart guy. He's calling for gold to go to ten thousand. So in somewhere in between is reality. But as I've said many times, I don't think of gold as an investment. I think it as an insurance policy. I think it as a hedge. It's called. So rather than invest in gold, I would start with silver, you see, because if they have these little green boxes with 500 ounces, 500 silver coins in them, get two or three green boxes or buy one silver coin a day or only 20 bucks. And then because if if the currency does collapse like it did in Zimbabwe, at least silver can be used as money. You know, That's the best advantage of it. So I have these little green boxes. Go to any gold dealer. But don't buy numismatic. Numismatic, the guy will say, oh, here's a rare 1902, da-da-da-da, and, you know, it's only $18,000, and it'll go up in value. Don't buy that. That's called numismatic. They can make make up any, any value for a numismatic coin. You just want to play spot. If silver is $20, you want to pay as close to silver as $20. If gold is $1,500, you want to pay as close to $1,500 per ounce. But it's not really an investment. It's just a hedge in case the dollar or the yen or the euro collapse. And I own, I hold physical gold. Now, if you don't like physical gold, then buy an ETF. I, the reason I don't like ETF gold is because there's a thing called claims, so let's say I'm, I'm selling you an ETF, I have one ounce in gold, I can sell that one ounce 500 times. It's called a fractional reserve. So in case you really wanted that gold, you couldn't get it anyway because the 500 other guy's claiming for it. And what an ETF will do is they'll pay you back in dollars. See, I don't want dollars, I want gold. So the, the, the great debate is between real gold and paper gold. For me personally, I like real gold and real silver. I don't keep it in a safe deposit box. I don't keep it in my house. I have a special hiding place just in case you know what happens. Next question, Melissa.
4: Our next question comes from Mark in Columbus, Ohio. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. With the Fed printing nonstop, isn't this causing the dollar to become less valuable every day?
1: Duh. You know, it's the money, stupid. The real economic crisis is the money. It's no longer money. In 1971, President Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. That's not the first time they've done it. They've been doing that for centuries. The Romans tried it. Mao Zedong tried it. Because a government can't pay its bills, it just prints money. So in 71, we couldn't print. We couldn't pay our bills. So Nixon and friends took the dollar off the gold standard, and they printed it. The, The good news is the economy boomed. The trouble is, so did the debt Because in 71 the dollar became debt and our debt now is out of sight. And the question is right now can they keep printing? That's the question. And the reason interest rates are so low is because they want mom and pop investor to take the money out of savings and put it in the stock market. That's a suicide mission. And at the same time because interest rates are so low because they've printed so much money is that all the pension plans like CalPERS, you know the the California public service, da-da-da-da, the, the pension plan for employees. It's not going to work. They're going to have to bail out pension plans all over the world now because a pension plan, most of them, you have to buy a government bond. And the government bonds used to pay like 10 15%. Now they're paying nothing. So the numbers are not going to work. So if you're sitting there, well, I got a good safe job in California or Florida, or wherever you think you are, well, your state government's toast. They can't pay you your pension. That happened in Detroit. They couldn't pay the pensions. So think again, because interest rates are so low on bonds, the pension plans are not working. So that's why this whole program today was really about if you're poor, what can you do? Start with basic foods, toilet paper, tampons. That might be that might be money someday. If you have a little bit more money, go to gold. Probably silver is the best idea. Get some gasoline. And if you're rich, you know, like my wife and I have a sailboat, huge sailboat, water cooler, food and all that. I'm just going to climb on my sailboat and go to sea. Now, if I can't get there, I have a safe house not too far away from me. And we have another safe house in South Carolina. That's where we hide. Because as Adam Taggart said and Chris Martinson said, it's called social capital. Who are your friends? Remember this. If you're a medical doctor and the, you know what, hits the fan, they're going to want to keep you alive. They hopefully have some drugs like heart attack medicine, whatever you got. And if you have a machine gun, they definitely want to keep you alive because you probably have bullets. So they want to keep you alive. That's social capital. But like I said, between my doctor friend and me, is a stockbroker. He's on the dinner list right now.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.